this, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Richard Clark, and I'm here with Editor-in-Chief Drew Dixon. Hey Drew. Hey, what's up? Nothing. In an effort to make this podcast a success, we've brought on our first special guest uh, to be with us and talk about games and belief and all of that stuff, Stu Horvath. Stu, hey. Hi, Richard. Hi, Drew. Hey, so, so Stu is the editor-in-chief of unwinnable.com and Unwinnable Weekly. Uh, Stu, tell us a little bit about Unwinnable Weekly. Well, first off, I'd like to say that it's interesting that whenever uh, I, whenever I'm on a podcast with, uh-huh. with folks who work with me uh, at Unwinnable, I make jokes about firing them all the time, too. It's, like <laughs> it's, interesting it's kind of the thing. way it works. I do that as well at uh, Christ and Pop Culture, where I'm the editor-in-chief. So that's just a thing editor-in-chiefs like to do. Is Apparently. It's, I mean, it's the only power we have, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fire-free workers. Yes. <laughs> Um, I forgot to mention that uh, basically the idea behind this podcast is every week we invite a special guest to talk with us about life, games, and belief. Um, it's meant to be a very sort of casual, conversational thing where we co- kind of dig a little deeper in terms of subject matter than most video game podcasts would, obviously. Um, but yeah, basically the main idea is to talk about games um, in an honest way. So Stu's definitely a good first choice for that. Stu, uh, the reason for that is because Unwinnable does similar thing, probably from a different perspective, but. Yeah, um, I, I think that we, we, I mean, we've always been sort of, um, we try to balance our, our, our deep thinking with fart jokes. Uh, <laughs> As you so, should. Yeah, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't keep it too serious all the time. At least we can. Um, but I don't I, have a problem with that. What's that? I don't have a problem with that. I could easily keep it too serious all the time. Yeah. I mean, I could too. I'm, I'm not. Renowned for my sense of humor, but you know, everybody else wants to keep it fun. So I guess that's true. You know. Except except for those firing people jokes, those are always funny. Well, yeah, but most people take those more seriously than I expect them to. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm not really good with the sense of humor. That's theory. kind of ideal, I think. Um, okay, so what is Unwi- Unwinnable Weekly? Uh, Unwinnable Weekly is our our newish. Is it new still? I mean, we're 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 at issue five now, plus a summer special. So less than uh, two months. Less yeah, than less than two months. We kickstarted it back in April, and it was intended to be a weekly, uh, high quality journal of sorts, cultural journal of sorts, um, covering not just video games but all sorts of nerdy culture that we all like. Um, and we've also wound up running a lot of uh, you know prose fiction literature, uh, which was a surprise. Um, but it's basically a, a, a very, uh, hopefully nicely designed magazine, uh, coming at you weekly, every Friday, for a very low price, because we'd like you to pay for it, uh, because, uh, it's nice to pay for writing. And, uh, yeah. I, uh, I love Unwinnable Weekly. I've just been consistently, like, an, an amazed by every issue, how it's kind of out of left field, in, in like, a really <laughs> good way. I mean, that's kind of what Unwinnable's been for a long time, but, like, the stuff that's published in that thing every week just surprises me every time. Um, and it's just really interesting, thoughtful stuff about video games, obviously, um, and about just geek culture and stuff in general. So I like it. Thank you very much. It, it, it's really weird how it comes together. And it always, it, like for me, I'm just like, well, I have to get these five stories because we usually run five stories a week. And mm-hmm. it's, just, you know, though, it, there's no chance in heck that. Because- <laughs> You know? You're allowed to say hell. But yeah, so it's always interesting to see how, like, these five random pieces 
are going to come together. And they have all sort of, every issue sort of has developed these weird, unintentional themes, which I think is really interesting. Like, if you stare long enough at five completely different pieces, you automatically start, you know, pulling together this this commonality between them, which is kind of cool. I feel like Gus does not apply to this. Gus has this regular column that is just its own thing every week, and it doesn't it doesn't have a theme. It has nothing to do with anything. True, except for itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, it's a serialized novel, young adult novel. Right. So. Um, cool. So one thing we want to do on the podcast every week is just ask really pointed questions to people about their beliefs, and so I'm going to start with probably... Uh, a really pointed question about your belief. Stu. Yes. What, what do you believe? <laughs> in particular. Not much. In per- in, okay, so that's interesting. So in particular, I want to start with this. What do you believe about God? Um, not much. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a secular humanist. So yep. I'm, I don't like the word atheist anymore. I don't okay, think why I'm, is that? Uh, because it's sort of a, it's sort of a grouping of, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a group name. Like, I don't like isms as, as it is. Like, I don't yeah. like being part of that group nomenclature. And it's a group that's sort of united by nothing, which yeah. is very strange. Like, I understand being, like, for instance, a Baptist, because there's certain rules and things that you subscribe to as a Baptist. That, yeah. that atheism is the opposite of that, which I think is really peculiar. Um, so, yeah, I go with secular humanists. Okay. And you don't find... So, with secular humanists, they obviously... That's that in as opposed to atheism, it's it's uh stands for something. Stands for something. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a but it, it's like a positivist thing, right? It, it's yeah. I I secular humanists stand for this, this, and this. Whereas atheism is just well, I don't believe in God. When did you start identifying yourself as secular humanist? Um, probably just recently in the last year or two. Okay. Um, I always kind of uh I was sort of deeply agnostic for a long, long time, and then uh I don't know after my dad died, I kind of stopped. You know. I, that reconciled everything for me. Oh, that's interesting. So this is actually really cool to talk about with you because uh, that was an experience for me. My dad died just about two years ago. When? Did, how old were you when your dad died? Uh, just it was a couple of years before you. So I, I, like my thirtieth birthday, he was on his deathbed. So right. Okay. I think I remember reading an article or something you wrote. Yeah, about two years after that. But yeah. Okay. So um, it's funny how these these big crisis moments in life result in completely drastically different responses yeah um for me it was i mean i will admit that it was a moment of like like what the hell god like you know that sort of thing like what are you doing but the the sort of you personal pronouns addressing god never really stopped for me (laughs) you know what i mean so there was there was a you know probably about a week where i i uh i kind of was fed up with it but found myself at the end of the week um feeling more uh, more at home in my faith simply because I never felt uh like I could leave it right like it just wasn't a personal choice I found myself able to make um and not even because like it was a a lack of like I didn't want to go there or something it was more like this reality I couldn't escape like I couldn't fly and ignore gravity you know what I'm saying yeah so I'm curious I'm like we what... alien but I understand yeah yeah <laughs> so I'm curious like what the thought process for you was in sort of coming to that conclusion? No, I think that, um, I'm not sure that, that, that there was a direct causal relationship between the two things. Um, there was definitely, I mean, I, I used to have like, you know, everybody has that where where you have that night where you try to get to sleep and you're thinking of all the terrible things you've done. And, uh, 
And then eventually you start thinking about, oh, God, one of these days I'm just not going to be here anymore. How weird is that? You start thinking about death over and over and over again. And that, that would yeah. like, be like this feedback loop that I would get into. Uh, and at some point, I don't know, it just, uh, I stopped thinking like that. And with that, I just stopped thinking about all of the other stuff. And I, I just kind of focus on the day-to-day and being fun. So, so is that like a conscious decision you made in conjunction with that experience? I think that it just sort of, no, I think that it naturally kind of just faded away. Any kind of, you know, uh, the idea of that as, as a, as an ongoing question in my day to day life, it just didn't seem to matter anymore. Hmm. So, um, cool. So not cool, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is a conversation Drew and I had before we started. Like when people say things we fundamentally disagree with. Or what are we supposed to say in response? So we're going to struggle with that openly on the podcast. <laughs> That's kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm curious, like, what, as a secular humanist, like, what would you say, you know, thinking from that standpoint, what would you say are, like, some of your core values? Like, like what, you, you know, what are some core values of, 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 that you, in the way that you approach culture as you write, think through, um, you know, like, with that unwinnable and that sort of thing? I mean, I would, I would bet that it's not entirely different from, from, say, your perspective. Uh, it's, it's still, you know, I still think that I'm a fairly moral person. And, you know, I, 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 everything that I, uh, every lens that I look through is culture specifically is about sort of making sense of the universe. It's just that I, I'm doing it without, uh, God or religion as part of it. I've just, I just come to it from like, I guess a scientific background, uh, not very sciencey, but, um, and I think that it's basically just, you know, the, my core tenets are be good, figure out ways to be better and, you know, nicer and how to make our time here more pleasant and comfortable for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, that, that's like a, uh, that's like a perspective that's always appealed to me in some way because it feels really hopeful, you know? Um, and I guess my struggle with it, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like my oh, struggle yeah? with it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, fortunately, we're across the, a few states. So it's going to be hard to punch me, which you could easily do. Um, but one of the struggles I've had with it is that it feels, um, utterly like you said, you consider yourself basically a good person or a moral person. I don't have that experience. I, <laughs> I find, I like, I find that I, I wait, often... Wait, 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 with Stu or with yourself? For myself. <laughs> okay, good. I find myself... Make it sure. I don't find myself to be a moral person, and I find it really hard uh on my own in really any real sense to, like, embrace goodness. And uh I know that, you know, it's interesting, like, uh the the world of, of game games and game development and game criticism, I think is a very humanist sort of world a lot of times there are a lot of people who hate this idea that um it's it's that you need god in order to accomplish good you know what i mean i kind of get it i kind of understand why they hate that idea because um i feel like if that is if if the secular humanist perspective is true then christians are like kind of dragging their feet in all the wrong ways you know what i mean I don't even think of it necessarily that way. I mean, this is something my, my girlfriend, who's a, a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, kind of gets hung up on uh, when we discuss atheism. Um, it's she. She 
she has a hard time reconciling the idea of morality without religion because mm-hmm. there's nothing there's no um no standard there's no, yeah there's no standard or structure for for you know a secular humanist or an atheist so but i i think it's the opposite i think that inherently <laughs> we have to try and be good for no particular reason um I think that if we could succeed in being kind of good moral people without having uh, a safety net or guidelines like uh, like religious scripture, um, we'd be better off uh, because then we would be just doing it for its own sake. Right. Um, sort of. Which is which is an issue that Christians struggle with a lot, to be honest. Like this idea of doing good things for their own sake. Um, I I know that there's particularly like a a. a a particular kind of Christian feels the need to turn everything into an evangelism opportunity. Um, yeah. and that's, mm-hmm. that's certainly something even, even I struggle with, like this, this sort of, uh, struggle to, I mean, to be frank, to proselytize, like, because, because, like, inherent in, in a certain kind of Christianity is this feeling that you are, you are, you know something other people should know. Um, so it's not even like, oh, I've got to, I got to evangelize because I'm told to. It's more of like, how long do I hold this back? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know why I started saying that. What were we talking about? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I definitely had a reason for bringing it up. Well, like, I, uh, the reason why, uh, religious folk have a hard time. Yeah, talk. exactly. So when we do something like game criticism, it's like, I'm using this as an opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. a lot of times the motivation. When we play, I mean, even just playing video games, you have to explain why you're doing it. You have to justify that. The yeah. justification yeah. thing is constant in Christianity. Yeah. And it's kind of exhausting. Um, and I think, like, uh, it's not even necessarily right in the context of Christianity to think that way because so much of Scripture is about the goodness of God's world and the common graces that we experience and the fact that a lot of things that are quote-unquote secular are actually just really good things to be appreciated and and uh, happy about. Yeah, like secular doesn't necessarily have to be irreligious, which is something that I think uh, a lot of people on both sides of the fence sort of stumble over. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, like, pre- the, the, like, philosophically, the idea of predestination sort of is, moves in that kind of direction, because, like, right? Because the idea is that you can't, you can't get into heaven via good works, right? Uh, so. Sorry, that's, it, it, that's not predestination, <laughs> but yes, that's true, what, we, that Christians believe that. Which one is that? What is that? What, what do we, what do we call that, Drew? Uh, we'd say, like, um, salvation by grace or, by grace alone. By grace, grace alone. Works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but like the idea of like like that is sort of your, your it, it's it's removing your religious component from your day to day, right? So it's like it doesn't matter if you're 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 saved or not because you should still be doing good stuff. Like that stuff doesn't count in the the equation. Or is it? Or do religious folks view it the opposite way? Um, it's both. I think. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to pick a, a typical Christian would pick at the words you're using, but I think you're right. It's essentially, like. Um, I think there's a sense in which, yeah, you just, you doing good things is going to help you somehow move up to a higher level. It's not going to make you a better person overall. It's, it's not going to accomplish anything in particular. It's, it's just you do them because you should. Because you should. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I, I guess like for me, I mean, and whatever, there'd be maybe some Christian, well, I don't know if there's any Christians that would like argue with this, but like, um, I guess I think like doing things because you should, um, doesn't, 
Like it's not a like that's not like a doesn't feel like a firm foundation for me to under which to make decisions. If that makes sense. Like, um, like I guess I I want, and I'm not saying it always is, but I want my motivation for doing the right thing to be that I want because I love because I've learned to love God and I love my neighbor. I want to do what's right. Does that make sense? Um, that makes sense. I'm not saying I, not, <laughs> I'm not saying I always. Op- <laughs> not saying like I always operate from that that way of thinking. Yeah. Um, but like, but that, but that was a process for me, like as a Christian or whatever. It's like, like being freed from that idea that I, I have to do what's right to try to make God love me in some sense. You Stu, know, Stu, you had a, uh, you had a column at Unwinnable for a time called the Burnt Offering. Yes. That was a, essentially a religion column, right, or a spirituality column. Um, it was a. I, I would. I would. I would broaden it to just magical thinking. Okay. Um, and uh, it's still sort of going on. I just don't call it burnt offering. Like all of my all of my writing, I think, sort of is still in that vein. Yeah. Uh, I, I despite being irreligious, I'm, I'm still very interested in, in in religious thinking and theology and mysticism and and that sort of thing. And I think that those are valuable tools for uh, sort of uh, looking at culture. Uh, sure. I mean, so much of our culture has been bound, like, regardless of whether or not there is a God or if there's any value in religion, our entire culture has been bound up in religious imagery for thousands of years. So I think that that's sort of a valuable way to look at things. Yeah, cool. Stab myself. Ow. Don't do that. <laughs> Just play with a buck knife. Stop I think that. that we can all agree, Christian or not, that you shouldn't stab yourself with a buck knife. Yeah. Yep. Lesson learned. Great. So let's end there and uh, on that conversation and move <laughs> on to uh, the wolf among us. So uh, this is my topic that I wanted to talk about. Basically, I just finished the fifth chapter, the fifth and final chapter of season one of the wolf among us, a telltale game series. <laughs> this is by the, the company that did uh, the walking dead video game. Um, and I would say, I mean, I think we would all agree, right, that the Walking Dead video game is pretty much incredible and everyone should play it? Nope. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that makes for a better conversation. Um, what about you, Drew? Did you like The Walking Dead? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Okay, and cool. I, I think Stu's dead wrong. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, The Wolf Among Us is essentially the same kind of concept, but it's based on this fable series of, fables series of comic books or graphic novels. Um, which I've never read and have no awareness of really. <laughs> um, but, uh, it was really interesting to me. Like, one thing that I was impressed by was just how grounded in the real world it was. It is kind of inherently grounded in the, grounded in the real world because it's about these fable characters that move to New York and then they have to deal with real world problems. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't blown away by it in the same way that I was The Walking Dead, and that may be just that the novelty of this whole decision-making sort of game has worn off. But uh, I was really impressed by the sort of adult nature of the themes. Um, I mean, it was just very... It felt it felt complex in the way that life often is, you know. Um, one thing I've, I kept finding is that I was constantly disappointing people and frustrating people and in particular there's a focus in the wolf among us on the system um and systemic problems and your role in those problems um especially like you're the sheriff of a town and so uh yeah i just thought that was really interesting um so you guys have not played it correct no. correct so one thing they have the comics though oh really yeah is the comic 
does the comics do the comics? Do they kind of uh, talk about the same issues, or is this new to the games? Um, I'm not sure the extent it is of the games. I mean, this it, they are definitely you know a bunch of fairy tale characters who have moved to New York and um, have to deal with problems. But in the comic book, I feel like it's a little bit more soap opera mm. level of of seriousness. Um, it's not a terribly gritty book. Oh, interesting. At least, well, at least on my sort of spectrum of grit. Yeah. I wanted to talk about one particular aspect of, of that game and the other games, the, the Walking Dead and that. And, you know, I mean, how old is talking about like player choices and moral decisions and stuff? But one thing the Wolf Among Us does in particular is, uh, it, it causes you to focus on the, the effect those decisions have on other people, um, rather than like whether it was inherently good or bad, right? So, um, there's this thing that it was an option, I think, in the Walking Dead series, and I couldn't find a way to turn it off in the Wolf Among Us, so I ended up playing with it on, where every time you make a decision that affects someone's opinion of you, it says, so-and-so will remember that. Did you guys play with that on the Walking Dead? Yeah, I, I remember that coming up. I didn't realize that that was an actual setting. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe I just imagined that it was. I think it is a setting, because I'm, I think I played some of it with that setting on, and then some of it with that setting off. So oh. that set, that that particular feature, whatever it is, is like so haunting to me in a, in a way. Like whenever you make a decision and it's and and it's obviously doesn't go in their favor, and it says that it's it feels um it's something that I think about a lot in my life. It's weird. <laughs> I like think about the fact that people remember those decisions in the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, I think it's odd that it tells you. Yeah. Cause, and I guess it tells you from an omnipotent point of view where I, I think it'd be more interesting if, if your character thought that they would remember that. Yeah. And whether they did or didn't is sort of immaterial to what you think. Sort of like, like, like I, I've been in, you know, I'm 35 years old. We've all had some, some situations. Um, where you do that kind of thing, like you have that choice where like, like two people are vying for something and like you have to make the choice and somebody gets disappointed and you think, oh, well, they're gonna, they're gonna remember that for a long time and yeah. find out that they didn't care at all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And not only did they not care, but you had no idea that they didn't care because you yep. were sort of so invested in making the decision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be sort of infinitely more interesting. I, I essentially, like, fundamentally, I agree with you. And that was why I'm pretty sure I played with that setting off in The Walking Dead. Mm. Um, and, and then I played The Wolf Among Us. I just couldn't find a way to turn it off. <laughs> like, I looked everywhere in the set. I just couldn't find it. So um, I ended up playing with it on. And, and it was just a, I guess I would just say it was just a different experience. It felt like everything was more loaded, you know, which is probably why they do that, I think. Yeah. Um, Certainly, it, it, it packs more of a punch, and th- and it allows for like these great one-off jokes where like you you get in fight at one point in a fight at one point in a bar with this character Grendel, and he uh he gets mad at you and you beat him up and whatever, and then he goes back to the gar- bar and he passes out, and then in the corner of the screen it says Grendel will not remember that, <laughs> <laughs> which is like kind of ex- like makes up for the whole idea, I think. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. For me, it just kind of made uh, every decision feel a lot more consequential, and uh, for better or for worse, you know. Um, and sometimes I feel like they were lying, like, or if not lying, like overstating the importance of the fact that they would remember it, you know. 
Yeah. Don't you think that there's like a like a a level in at which that becomes unhealthy? You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, we certainly want to be aware of the fact that our our decisions are weighty and have impact on other people, but it, I think it can be kind of unhealthy to always be thinking about like, well, this person will remember that. They'll yeah. always remember this. Like, um, I, I don't know. I think that can kind of paralyze us in a way that. Yeah, the Bible calls that the fear of man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, Stu, what do you think about that? What's your perspective on this idea of the fear of man? Um, like in in, in the because I don't really have it in real life. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <laughs> like, well, or good. if I do, it's not really that. Like, it's it's a little bit farther down the ladder of concerns. Yeah. Um. Sure. In the games, it's weird <clears throat> because like there's nothing there's nothing you could do to mitigate that. Like in a human relationship, like you piss somebody off, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a necessary thing. You could just be like, Hey, Richard, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, things went that way. Hey, let's go get a drink. And like, you don't have that opportunity in The Walking Dead. How crazy <laughs> is it that in none of these games is there an option to apologize? Like, yeah. that's a very basic human thing that everyone yeah. should know how to do. But I feel like. <laughs> I feel like That's in four it. years, we're all going to be complaining. Instead of complaining about violence, we're going to be complaining that it's just caused people to think they can just do things and move on without yeah. <laughs> second-guessing anything. Like, oh, well, I guess you're going to remember that, and then you just move on and hate that person. Yeah, I mean, that's my my huge, my huge biggest problem with, uh, with the Walking Dead games, is that they're so sort of relentlessly cynical in the questions, that, the choices that you're presented with, yeah. and there's never any way to backpedal on those. That's like. <laughs> Totally yeah, true. that's a good point. What, what's the name of the, the, the dude who's taking care of Clementine in the first one? Uh, uh, Lee? Lee, yeah. Lee. He's the most undiplomatic person, and it's not it's not because of him as a character, it's because of the mechanics of the game. Like you're <laughs> there's no middle road in any of the decisions. Like he can't broker a compromise and I I, I, I just don't think it like people were just like, This is what, you know, a zombie apocalypse would be like. I just don't I don't buy that, and I'm not a particularly optimistic person. Yeah. Have uh, Have either of you guys played the novelist? I have not. It's interesting because. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stu. I have not, but uh, I, I, I've edited a couple stories about it. Yeah. Um. So it's like I guess it's kind of the opposite, maybe, of The Walking Dead in that sense, because the goal, pretty much, the goal of each stage of the game is to find a compromise amongst the characters. Mm. So it's it's it would be an interesting um game to play as a contrast to like the walking dead or, or um uh the wolf among us yeah that's so. interesting cool so uh let's move on to your thing uh drew do <laughs> let's do drew next yeah drew, what's your thing you want to talk about um yeah so there was a a, a little news piece on on polygon.com about uh virtual reality and and in specific specifically it was talking about uh playstation's new Sony's new uh, Project Morpheus. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Um, you know, it's sort of their their response or their their version of however you want to say it. Of um, now, I totally blanked. The big VR headset, Oculus, <laughs> Rift. Oculus. yeah, Oculus Rift, yeah, <laughs> Oculus Rift. Um, and so, anyway, the article is about how um, um, you know uh, Brian Crescente uh, in- interviewed a guy from Sony, and he talked about how people are kind of having like really intense experiences with Morpheus mm. to the extent where they've like realized they kind of have to tone down the content of the games a little bit. Um, so 
In other words, the article is kind of arguing that maybe virtual reality will result in like a kinder, gentler form of play because um, with that headset on, you can't be like mad dashing at people with a chainsaw and <laughs> a rocket launcher. <laughs> it's just going to be too intense. Um, so anyway, um, before we, I want to ask you guys what you think about that idea. But first, I wanted to ask, are you guys excited about virtual reality? Do you think it will allow for, you know, more valuable, more interesting play experiences? What do you think, Stu? I think so. I am generally excited about it. Um, but with the caveat that I don't think that it's going to catch on in any significant way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really disappointing to me, but I, I don't know. You know, that's funny. I kind of, I feel the same way that I agree with those two points. I'm really excited about it and I don't think it'll catch on, but I'm not so disappointed that it's not going to catch on because I feel like it's too much of a good thing. Like, I feel like, uh, like, you know, at the unwinnable house, um, at GDC, you had this, you had this big unwinnable party and one of the games there was, what was the name of that? Oh, uh, Ben Vance's, uh, Irrational Exuberance. Yes, so that game is, is a very simple game. There's very little to get lost in. If you were playing that game in a, com- on a computer, you'd be done in like 10 minutes. You'd be like, that was cool. It's like Proteus, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, we should probably explain. It's like, it's like you're just walking around exploring asteroids. Like you're walking around on top of, or meteors, whichever. In space, yeah. In space, yeah. Yeah. They're they're not moving or anything, you're just exploring really cool space environments. <laughs> yeah. But that game was so engrossing and also intense, like just the act of walking around in space, that um and I I I loved it. Like I loved it a lot. I wanted to buy the Oculus Rift just to play that game like every week at my house. But um I get nervous about having the ability to play a bunch of different must have games for the Oculus Rift. You know <laughs> what I mean? And like having to, there's a bunch of problems I have with it. Like just the engrossing nature of it, the intense nature of it, the, uh, the physical act of shutting yourself, literally shutting yourself off from the rest of the world. Um, all of that stuff freaks me out to the point where I want it to be like a specific, uh, high investment sort of boutique experience that you have to actively go and do like once a month, a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like that's the best way to experience the Oculus Rift. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I, especially with Ben's game, um, and this speaks to the the the, the Polygon article too. Uh, I, I thought it was really intense. So there's this one moment where you, where there's this potential that you could fall off your asteroid, right? Yeah. And you go falling down and uh, towards this planet below, and your body kind or my body kind of panicked in the yeah. way that it would yeah. if it was actually falling. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, intellectually, I knew that I wasn't falling because I was in a bedroom uh, with an Oculus Rift on my head. Uh, but it with, was with Rich and I pointing at you and laughing. No, great. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we didn't really point and laugh. I'm pretty uh, sure you guys pointed and laughed at me. Well, yeah, I definitely so took definitely. a picture of you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting, and it was also interesting because if you looked back up uh, at where you had fallen from, like that panic sort of disappeared. You could play with your your brain chemistry and or your your fight or flight or whatever that was and <laughs> I, that's a really strange sort yeah. of frontier for games but it was also interesting after having played it watching other people play it and do that and you know people were breaking out into sweats people had to like get up and walk around and, and like people were losing their breath it was really 
Uh, one guy died? Yeah, well, we don't talk about that because we don't want to dig too much in the backyard. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting, like, um, I, <laughs> I definitely had to, like, stop playing that game because of that. Yeah. And so, because, well, like, after a while, like, I really loved, I loved it. I adored that game. It was probably, I don't know if it was my, the best game I played that night, but it was the most memorable for sure because I'd never experienced a game that, you know, made me feel that fighter, uh, fight or flight sort of, um, tension, panic, you know, um, so, uh, just imagine doing that while also, you know, um, shooting aliens with a, a bazooka. Yeah. And I think there's nothing going on in irrational exuberance. You're just yucking. Yeah. I mean, to me, that would be, I would just be like, nope, not doing it. Not gonna, if that was, if that's what I had to do while exploring those asteroids, I'd just say, no, I'm done. I can't handle this too much. Um, so is that, I mean, I think we could all probably agree that like, I mean, I don't, I think like, none of us are against like violence in video games, but we'd probably all agree that like, that's something that video games, that, that there's like an overabundance of like violence in video games. Like we don't, yeah. we don't necessarily need more video games to be like creatively violent or something. Um, so, I mean, is that something that excites you about VR? The possibility at least, I mean, do you think they, do you think VR will actually emphasize a kinder, gentler form of play as the polygon article saying, suggests? Are you saying kinder? Kinder. That's the like, second time. I feel like I heard you say kinder the second time and I can't let it go. Kindler. Okay. Kind, you know, kindler no, a, a more um a more kind form, gentle more kind and gentle form of play. Do you think it'll really <laughs> emphasize that? And is that a good thing? I, I think um, there's no choice. I think that that um well, I, I think that, that, that it naturally caters itself to more exploratory experiences because they're short. Yeah. yeah. Um and I think the more you every time I played a game that involved a gun uh, in, 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 in the VR, I've, there's more things like, like a sort of parallax error where all this stuff is happening that, like, I'm aware of and it doesn't, doesn't jive right. Like, yeah. why, why can't I see my hands in early builds or like, like, like movement is weird because you're moving in three dimensions in your head mm-hmm. space, but not physically. And like, I don't want to get into, you know, like the haptics and the weird treadmill things to, to play a game. <laughs> And I think that, that the more, like, high-end shooters just aren't really suited to, to VR. I think that that's going to cause this sort of dissonance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I agree with all of that. At the very least, it seems like VR will challenge some developers anyway, because people are going to want to, at least for a time, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure it's going to catch on the way that people have said it will. But, you know, at least for a while, we're going to see some developers um, maybe take some risks doing some more... You know, exploratory type of games, which I, I think is makes me more excited even about the possibility of VR, even though I share some of Rich's concerns about <laughs> shutting shutting myself off uh, to my family for too long periods of time. Anyway, so yeah, feels yeah. very weird, and just like things like jump scares in a horror game in an Oculus, it, it's t- it, it's so exponential. Like like you're gonna mm-hmm. jump out of your chair and look behind you. Physically have to do that in the game. Ah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about like the way I do media is, is in context of community and with other people and socially. It's just the anything I do, I want to talk about it with people. I want to, I want to engage it with other people and I want to as much as possible, I want to experience it with other people. 
So it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine that I would be, you know, any almost anything else you do, you can say, hey, look, you know, <laughs> you can say, hey, look at this, and then they'll look at it, and you can kind of talk about it and do it together or whatever. Um, you know, my wife and I played The Wolf Among Us together, or she watched while I played. Um, but, uh, you know, we can't do that with Oculus Rift. She's literally, like, the gulf between what we're experiencing, uh, when I'm playing Oculus Rift in the room with her is so vast <laughs> and sort of horrifying to think about. Um, there's no way, like, in theory, I could play Oculus Rift in the living room while we, she watches TV. In reality, I'm like, doing the weirdest, most humiliating, <laughs> undignified motions with my head and my mouth is probably agape. And, and I'm going, oh, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm yeah. reacting. It's that to same things. sort of theory about like the connect, you know, like people won't know, like they have all these voice commands, but nobody uses them because we're all yes. too embarrassed. Because exactly. we actually, most of us actually, most of us live with other people in our houses yep. or apartments or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, at GDC, when I was staying with my, uh, I, I stayed briefly with my editor at Wired, Peter Rubin, uh, and he's got the Xbox One, and he was, like, shouting at it, and it was, it made me intensely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> he's so mad at his Xbox, it's weird. Xbox, change the channel. Go to, it's just like, no, don't, no, stop talking to your set top box, it's weird. People don't do that. Xbox, I love you. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's talk about, uh, <laughs> Stu, what's your subject that you want to talk about? The Secret World, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's so old news, but I love that game, The Secret World. It's so the is old... this like an MMO? Is that it a thing is. people do It's still? an MMO that's set in the real world, uh, or in the modern world, okay. uh, in which you have become uh, enlightened, have enjoyed, joined a secret society, and now see sort of the mystical... Uh, secret world that is all around you, and that there's this sort of secret war going on between, like, you know, the forces of evil and all that jazz. So, um, so this is kind of right up your alley, based on what you've said earlier about. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's the only MMO I play, uh, and have ever really played, uh, and I only play it for one month out of the year. <laughs> uh, for interesting, a whole lot of reasons. Um, it takes up an incredible amount of my time when I'm playing it. Uh, so just, you, do you set aside the month in which you play it? Is it like on your calendar? It's like a religious It It, it is sort thing. of. It, it wound up that way. It came out two years ago uh, in July, and um, me and Gus Mastrapa played it uh, for a month before we got frustrated with it and, and left it away, put it away. But then they did this anniversary thing last year, and that just totally hooked me right back into it. Huh. Uh, How? And, what? Well, how did, what was, what, what did they do that hooked you back into it? Um, so they do all these sort of story events, and there's also, uh, for, because it's a celebration, uh, they give you all these buffs so that you're getting more experience points and whatnot. Um, so more experience points is what drew you in. Yes. Well, because, (laughs) I, I, I them achievements. Yeah, I got stuck, I got stuck in a boss fight, and I couldn't progress the story. The story is the thing that's the real draw. Yeah. The, The game has some of the best, writing for this sort of thing and voice acting and the storytelling is just really, really good. They have such a great and deep love for horror, sci-fi, pulp stuff. There's constant Easter eggs for it, but never feels like hammy. Um, so when the, when the game sort of thwarted me getting any further in the story, uh, that was really disappointing. But when I got, when they did the experience boost, 
I was like, okay, I can go back, I can do a couple other things, I can level up a little bit, and then go back to that point where I was stuck at, which is what I did, and uh, I got past that point. And I'm almost, I think this month, I will finish the story of the game. And then what? What are you supposed to do then? I hope there's all this expanded content that I haven't been able to get to because I never okay. finished the core story, but it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. Do you guys play MMOs? No. They're very strange. I, yeah. I've I, actually tried uh, World of Warcraft for like <coughs> five minutes and was like, nope. And then I tried, I actually tried The Secret World because it was on sale at Steam uh, for like, I think I tried that one for like 30 minutes and I just, I couldn't, the mechanics of those things are so dull and boring to me, I just can't get past them. Oh, see, I, for me, they're so nerdy and intricate and subtle. Like, I love trying to maximize my guy by, like, fractions of a percent, you know, just making him like, oh, he's 1% more powerful than he was 15 minutes ago because I switched out three pieces of, of equipment. Like, really? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the side of a good character build? But, yeah, um, I get lost in those kind of weird mechanical details. I think I have a un, probably an unhealthy fear of some MMOs. Anyway, I just think that like if I that I'll get like super hooked into them. So I've never really like I think I played um, EverQuest for a few weeks or something a long time ago. Um, but like with uh, with like Skyrim, I got hooked on like crafting things <laughs> <laughs> in that game, and like just and I did that until I had like my um, Smithing and you know and uh, what is it enchanting smithing and enchanting I think that's the two things until those yeah. things were like maxed out and you know I had this insane bow that you know and if I shot anything once it would pretty much die and I I don't know I have this weird fear that if I play the secret world that that's all I'll, I'll do and I won't actually experience the interesting parts of it like the story and, and whatnot. There isn't a lot of room in the secret world to do that. It's so it's so heavily story focused that. Um... There isn't really a huge crafting mechanic, and you don't have to... Com- the nice thing about it is you don't have to commit to a particular character build in the beginning. You can basically... You have all the skills and all the, the abilities are open to you from the very beginning, and there's no cap to that. So eventually, you know, if you play long enough, you'll unlock everything, and you can just yeah. spec the character out. So there's not... That that focus on crafting isn't really there. Um, but then you could just get caught in the grind of the story. I mean... Literally, it has taken me three whole months to get this far, and I'm not quite done with it. Um, and that's, and that's with, with pretty dedicated play. Like, well, yeah. while in that, that month, you were pretty dedicated to this game. Yeah. as Eight-hour days, I assume. Uh, I would say, like, four to six. Eight, oh, eight gosh. Months. That's insane. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fun. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a game I've ever played four to six hours a day. When you and I first started playing Minecraft... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Minecraft was pretty. That's kind yeah. of like an MMO, but just like a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sing. Such a sick burn. I'm sorry. We, this was. You know that this was going to break down at some point and just become an argument. So yeah. this whole podcast. Um. Well, this is the podcast. <laughs> it's over now. We're going to oh, call no. it. We ended um, it. We're we're ending it. Um, thanks everybody for joining us. I wanted to mention if you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and especially on iTunes by rating and reviewing us. Yeah, that's it. Thanks everybody for joining us. And Stu, thank you so much for being on. This was awesome. Yeah, Absolutely, thanks, it was a pleasure, man. Awesome. Thanks for taking that risk. Now other people <laughs> can follow your lead. <laughs> it wasn't much of a risk. You guys are very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. We appreciate it. Oh, you are thanks. as well. Oh, oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see y'all next, hopefully next week. We're going to go for weekly, I think. Right, Drew? Yeah. Okay. See you next week.